what's up guys and welcome back to the channel today we have a guest that has been a player has been a college coach has worked in the radio booth has been on tv in the world series his name is mike rooney and in the baseball world goes by runes at least that's what i call him as runes <laughs> but mike rooney welcome to our channel today how you doing Big Herm, this is awesome, man. Good to chat with you. Yeah, I, miss, I miss our chats at games. We're just going to have to do it over the phone now. Right. Yeah, so Runes lives out in the, in the Phoenix area, and, and when I'm coaching or when I'm scouting over at Arizona State, I see you there all the time. Uh, he's calling me, texting me on some players. That what Kind of my thoughts on, on certain college players in the area. And, and so it's awesome. Every time I see you, it's always an ASU. Like you're just yep. you're, you're crushing it, working back and forth. Uh, but I wanted to bring you on Roots today because you have a really a wide range from when you were a player, you were a coach, all these different avenues in the TV booth, um, mm -hmm. you know, working the College World Series games in the dugout, kind of all these different avenues. And I, I thought it was like, man, kids, you know, if, if they don't make it in the game of baseball, there are, are other things that you can do, you know, sure. whether it's scout, coaching, all that stuff. So. What I'd love for you to do is kind of walk us through your playing career and then what led you up to being a college coach. Yeah, so um, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia. And just like, you know, most Northeast kids, like you play every sport because you have to, you know, the weather just kind of forces you in and out. And um, my dad was really into sports. He was a high school track and cross country coach. So sports has always been in my blood. And then, but academics were really important in our family. And so, Went to a school called Malvern Prep, really good, um, private, you know, all boys. Um, there's a spiritual culture to the school. They take everything really seriously, like academics, athletics, et cetera. And then, but, you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, and I'm the oldest boy, and my dad had gone to Notre Dame. So, like, I was going to Notre Dame. Like, that was not up for discussion. And so, but I had played high school football, played high school baseball, played a ton of basketball growing up, and then you know, just got to be around great players and great coaches. My high school football coach, a guy named Gant Pellegrini, he's the all-time winning, he's deceased now, but all-time winningest coach in the history of the city of Philadelphia. Wow. So just like, you know, played for a legend. So then I go to Notre Dame and I try to walk onto the baseball team and Pat Murphy, who's now the bench coach for the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers, and was the head coach at Arizona State for a long time. You know, Murph is a second-year head coach. He's 29 years old. Mm -hmm. And so um, Division One head coach. So pretty crazy when you think about that coincidence. Craig Council is my teammate for four years. Okay. And um, so I'm a walk-on. I'm so convinced I'm not making the team that uh, Notre Dame has a really cool thing. They have all guys and all girls dorms. And so almost everybody that goes to Notre Dame was a high school athlete. It's a very sports-oriented place. They have full contact, full pad, inner hall football. It's the coolest thing ever. And the two teams that play in the championship play in Notre Dame Stadium. So wow. I knew I was getting cut from the baseball team as a walk-on. And so I'm going to walk-on tryouts in the afternoon. And every night I'm going to inner hall football practice. The Keenan Hall Knights. We're going to run the triple <laughs> option. I was going to play quarterback. And so, but, you know, I made the team and played for four years. And I was, you know, vintage utility guy, played a million positions defensive replacement, pinch ran, you know, all, you name it. But it was unbelievable four years. And um, my, my senior year, we, we play in a regional with Miami, and we're in the game to go to Omaha. We had beaten them once. 
We had lost to North Carolina State. Winner goes to the promised land. Uh, Council just carried us. I mean, we had a good team, but he was unconscious. Yeah. And, um, and then right after that, I knew I wasn't going to play pro ball, and I got into high school coaching. I, I knew I wanted to do something in sports and, um, and, and just started my coaching career right away. So that, that's kind of how it got started. That's awesome. So being able to play in Notre Dame, I mean, that's, that's a huge school and, and obviously is, is known for, for maybe football on that side, but I can imagine your baseball games were amazing. What was it that did you decide at some point in college, say junior, senior year that, like, yeah, I think I definitely want to get into coaching. I, I don't, I never remember like a conscious decision, but I just, like I kind of just knew that I was going to probably try and do something around that. My dad had coached us when we were kids. And um, I just knew, I, I just couldn't picture my life without having sports in it. And so, you know, I went back to Philadelphia after graduation. I had an accounting degree. I was an accountant for 10 working days. And then my high school, Malvern Prep, luckily had this job where I could be the, um, the alumni director, which is fundraising, and be an assistant baseball coach. And so from there, it was on. You know, then, then I was kind of on a track. I was an assistant high school baseball coach. I was an assistant high school basketball coach. I actually got to coach against Kobe Bryant, which is, was unbelievable. Um, he was in our league, of all things. And so, and then at 24 years old, I just got super lucky and got to be um, – got to be the head coach at Malvern Prep. And Greg Gross, who played in the big leagues with the Phillies, had gone into pro coaching. And, um, yeah, and we were off and running. Is that the same school as Ben Davis? Yeah. So, so yeah. my first year as the head coach, I'm 24, and um, Greg had just left. Ben is our, is our catcher. He's a senior, and he's the number one – you know, you, you could argue he's the number one high school player in the country. He's the number one high school player taken. That's your draft too, Herm, right? Same draft. Yeah, that's why I was that, that all kind of like, oh, yeah, that was Ben Davis, Malvern Prep. Yeah, 95. Yeah. yeah, my dad loves to kill me about that. So Ben had pitched and caught. You know, like Ben was six foot four and change, switch hitting catcher. He was the MVP of our basketball league. Looked like Tom Cruise. I mean, it was fairly comical how gifted he was. <laughs> Greatest kid in the world. But um, he had pitched and caught the year before. And you could argue he's the best pitcher in the state. He had a, you know, cannon for an arm. Yeah. Yeah, but we decided not to pitch him. You know, I'm just thinking, I'm 24 years old. This would not be a good start to my coaching career <laughs> that I blow out the best player in the country. So we decided to not pitch him. He was just going to catch. And um, so we went 14-11 and 11 with the first high school player taken nationally in a little private school league in Philadelphia. My dad loves to rip me up about that. But, you know, it's like – Well, did they walk it every it's, time? Like, what, what, what – well, <laughs> I, I have so many stories, Herman, about that. They walked him every time, and the pitches were coming in at 75 and coming back at 95. You know, yeah. it was like it was we – were, we were in the wrong direction. But, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, all the attention we got, it was, you know, scouts at every game. But uh, it, it was an it was incre incredible first year as a head coach. That's awesome. So you, you at some point and then you started to make a, a transition into being a college coach and then you, you get over to Arizona State. How did you get to Arizona State? So Pat Murphy is my college coach. While I go back to Malvern Prep and coach there for the four years, he had in the meantime become the head coach at Arizona State. So I, you know, I, I'm in my 20s and I want to be a college coach. I've got the bug. And so 
I meet George Horton at the ABCA convention through a friend of a friend. And he's the head coach at Cal State Fullerton at the time. And I pitch him on being like a grad assistant, you know, office assistant, whatever you want to call it. And he's like, sure, you know, like, and I think this is right when computers were really starting to get big. And I think he's thinking, hey, this Notre Dame kid can kind of teach us how to turn these things on and et cetera. So I'm literally, Herm, driving from Philadelphia to Fullerton, California. And this is, you know, cell phones don't really exist yet. I check my messages and Murph me a message uh, at my home in Philadelphia that, hey, my volunteer coach has left to move on for a paid job. And you could come here and be the third base coach and work with the infielders. You'd be the volunteer coach. And so I get that message. I call George Horton at Fullerton. I'm like, hey, man, I, I just got this message from Murph, but I'm committed to Fullerton and I'm coming. And he's like, you know, I, I barely know you, Mike, but like you're you're not coming to Fullerton. Like you're not going to be on the field here. You're not going to be anywhere near the field here. If you're on the field here, it will be to rake the field. So Murph is offering you a chance to be in a uniform. And I'm like, I'm so young at the time. I don't even know what to do. Right. So yeah. George, it's, it's, he's the greatest guy ever. If you ever meet him, he finally says, Hey Mike, let me make this easy for you. You're fired. So, and then, you know, so long story short, I just kind of reroute and go to ASU and, and never left Arizona. That's awesome. So, and so Murphy, we're kind of going back. We're, we're, in a way, dating ourselves, but Pat Murphy, I think he was in his first year, maybe second, um, and he, he recruited me pretty heavily. Um, I, yeah, I ended up sure. choosing to go uh, committed to Miami. It was the only visit I went on, took my test late. They, they wowed me. They were the number one team at the time, but Murphy was pretty pretty heavy in on me, and he's like, he's like dude, just, just come here. Just come to ASU. And, and to this day, in fact, I just ran into him for the first time uh, probably since high school when I've seen him in person, it's been well over 20 years. Yeah. Um, we were at a game uh, when the season started over at Peoria, and I ran into him, was able to talk to him, and and I was like, hey, if I would have went to school, I would I would have most heavily came and played for you. But what, what I wanted to talk about with you and Pat Murphy was, from my understanding, he was a very intense manager, right? Kind of mm -hmm. maybe in your face type. What, what can you tell us about him and um, what you learned about maybe confidence or maybe even mental toughness in the game. Yeah, he was, um, he was kind of from that old school where, you know, he, he coached us hard, you know, it was in your face. You always knew where you stood very direct. Um, we were going to, we were going to outwork our opponents, you know, it was, you were going to put time in. Um, but also, you know, in my adult life, you know, with Jenny and I, Anytime something came up where there's a chance to help us in our life, you don't even have to ask. He's going to interject himself. So very old school in that regard where, you know, he is going to – it's going to be challenging when you play for him. You're going to have to bring your best every day. But when, you're, when you leave the family, if you will, I mean, the most generous person I've known in my life outside of my family. Really an incredible dichotomy. But, you know, I think the thing – I'll never forget the feeling of when we were at Notre Dame, feeling like, hey, we had an advantage because Murph was our coach. He's just such a presence. He had a, that big charisma. And then also for me, I struggled a lot with confidence. You know, I'm a walk-on. I'm from, a, you know, cold weather. I, I was super convinced that I really couldn't play 
college baseball at that level, but I just wasn't going to give up either, you know? So it was, it was kind of like this yin and this yang and, you know, Murph really demanded that I, you know, he would, he basically communicated to me that, Hey, you're either going to choose to believe you can do this or you're not going to be here. So you're going to get to choose one of the two, but just know that you, you're not going to be able to do both. You're not going to be able to live in self-doubt and play here at the same time. So you're just going to have to make a choice and figure that out. And, and I'm telling you, Herm, that it was one of the greatest life lessons I've ever had. And, and I still think about things that have happened in my life that I'm really proud of or maybe even surprised by in a good way. And I can see a connection to Murph's leadership and Murph's mentorship in there. And, you know, again, there were moments that were very difficult and you just feel like, man, I am so far out of my comfort zone right now. I'm not even sure I could spell my own name. But the, um, the end game was clearly something I believe in. That's interesting you bring that up because one of the thoughts that came to my mind as you were just saying that either you figure it out or you don't. That, that's mm -hmm. a very interesting mental concept because you get to choose, right? Whether you want to, I, I want to do this or I don't. And if I don't, I'm just going to give up. Or if I'm going to choose, I'm going to fight. I'm going to get through all these obstacles. They're going to get in my yeah. way, right? Now, so how long were you at Arizona State as a coach? So I was there, uh, when I got there in 98, I was there for six seasons. I actually went back for a seventh season in 09, but I was doing operations and radio. The first, those first six seasons were the on the field part at ASU. Okay, very cool. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see um, Coach Murphy maybe get in the guy's face and you could kind of tell that maybe they, they had never been talked to in that particular way and that, that kind of maybe beat them up a little bit and they started to go backwards? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, through my playing career and, you know, I mean, I've been around Murph since 1988, so – that we, we always felt like, hey, Murph is not for everyone. Now, I would say this, like, there, we had good players that weren't super confident kids. Obviously, our best players were the Pedroyas, the Ethiers, the kids with very big self-belief. But, um, you know, that's probably true for everybody. But one thing about recruiting at Arizona State is that um, Murph's reputation helped us mm -hmm. in that, like, kids that were a little wobbly uh, maybe weren't going to be able to handle that direct of an atmosphere most often we couldn't get very far down the road with them because quite honestly, people would use Murph's personality against us in recruiting. And at, at first we were alarmed by that. And what we came to learn is, man, they're doing us a huge favor. I mean, our <laughs> opponents are basically, you know, kind of, cause, cause you know, again, the Pedroyas of the world are like, Oh heck yes. Right. You know, you know, deal me in for that. And then a kid that was maybe a little bit more tentative, which, you know, we, we still recruited kids like that. But, yeah, it's not for everybody. But, yeah, there, there were times, I mean, even kids that I played with a million years ago still will, like, they were going to be a Hall of Famer if it wasn't for Pat Murphy. Like, that's, you know, there's still some of that out there. Um, no question. I, yeah, but, again, there were kids that, that we knew weren't confident. And that was another one of Murph's gifts besides that, that directness was he could take a kid that wasn't as confident and he could breathe life into them. You know, that old expression that, you know, like take the confidence I have in you and live on that until you can get it on your own, man, he had a gift for that. He could make the kids feel 10 foot tall and, and bulletproof on occasion. Now the problem is to me, that's a very limited thing. Like you can't live on someone else's confidence in you forever. Eventually you're going to have to own it. 
but man, he could, he could, he could lift the kid up for the short term with anybody. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I would say too, I, I played for personally for a very tough coach that would, would get on you, uh, maybe yell at you a little bit, but it was all, you could say in love, but at the same time, like, I, I always tell high school kids that if, if you have a coach that's actually getting on you, maybe being a little bit loud, getting in your face, like you should actually, it, it may not feel good at that moment because you're just a youngster, but almost be appreciative of it because that's going to get you, if you're going to go play at the next level and that college coach now gets you in your face, you're going to be able to handle that and you're not going to go cower in the corner because you just got yelled at. Yeah, I agree. I, I think when it, it happens in all walks of life, it happens in our marriages, it happens in our work lives, but when you feel like someone is speaking to you in a tone that is really bugging you, I often feel like, man, that really what they're doing is they're shining a light on my own self-doubt. Like they're shining a light on, man, I'm really not convinced I'm doing the right thing or I'm not really, you know, I'm not really convinced of myself. And so their tone is really bugging me. Whereas other times when you're really confident and someone's taking a different tone with you it's just noise because you're just like you know it's their issue not your issue because you're so locked you just you know I'll never forget Dustin Pedroia telling us one day he could he was so good and he could sense we were a little tentative coaching him and he I, he, I remember he pulled us aside and said look just bring it I don't care bring me all your information I'm too good you can't mess me up and and basically oh. what he's saying is I'll just if I if I think it's garbage I'm gonna throw it out you don't have to filter it I got gotcha. you and it was so revealing. And that, that was a coaching flashpoint for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, Pedroia, uh, Ethier. Who were some of the other big names that came through ASU while you were there? Yeah, so the, the, the guys that ended up with the biggest big league careers were Pedroia, Ethier. Uh, ironically, we had Ian Kinsler for a season. It didn't go well, and then he transferred to Missouri. Um, Willie Bloomquist was another big one. Uh, it was amazing, Herm. I get to coach 19 big leaguers in that whole stretch. I mean, Travis Buck had a nice big league career. Tuffy Ghost, which is still playing. Yeah, so that, that was kind of the crew. Yeah, that's got to be fun when you have that kind of amount of talent and someone like Pedroy, who I don't, I don't know personally, but we all know of watching him play with the Red Sox of that toughness that he has and probably some chips on his shoulder, you know, with how – short he is things like that he probably grew up his whole life um quite you know being questions like well you can't play because you're five seven you're five eight whatever right right yeah um well that's great now let's talk about you started to make at some point here a transition into radio and mm -hmm. that's what i wanted to bring you on part of the reason is because there is life after baseball you know whether yeah. on or off the field what got you into radio and kind of on the tv side of things yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. You say life after baseball, Herm, like for you, you were a big leaguer. It's life after baseball. For me, I barely had a life in baseball. <laughs> it's like my whole life was life after baseball. So it was, it was on life support in baseball, but no. So, so I, I leave ASU in 2004 and I go to a junior college, Phoenix college, and I'm the head coach there for three years. And uh, you know, the division one baseball lifestyle is really tricky it's it's intense it's awesome but it's intense and full disclosure my wife jenny has ms and so you know it's it's a tough disease it's stress is really bad for it so i remember one of her doctors coming up to me and saying hey 
like the number one thing on your guy, like your number one goal right now as a couple is you got to minimize stress. And I'm just like, I'm coaching at Arizona state at the time where every year you don't win the national title. It's like you stunk. Yeah. And I'm looking at the doctor, like, did you say minimize stress or maximize stress? Because <laughs> if you said maximize, we are in our sweet spot. But so anyway, we went to the junior college route. It was an awesome experience. It was a great life reset for us. And then um, in the meantime, at the very end of my career at Arizona State, Murph had a weekly radio show. And again, so much of the things, the opportunities I've had come back to Murph. But so he said, hey, Runes, I know you love sports talk radio. And we have this weekly radio, which I hate. And this year, you're going to host that radio show. Because our play-by-play guy, Tim Healy, who's the best ever, but he has to do football and basketball. By the time he gets to the spring and does our 50 games, I mean, this poor guy is gassed. Yeah. And he's, he's like, hey, we want heels fresh for our games. You're doing the Monday night radio show. And I'm like, <laughs> coach, like, I'm the third base coach. I work with the infielders. Like, what do you mean? Like, am I fired and I'm doing the radio show? Or, yeah. like, I don't get it. Like, no, he's like, no, you're just doing the radio show. And I'm like, oh, okay. What my second point would be, I've never done, I've, I listen to sports talk radio. I don't do sports talk radio. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, he's like, well, you'll figure it out. It'll be great. And I'm like, all right, all right, yeah. we'll figure it out. It'll be great. So we did it and it was awesome. It was at Boston's Pizzeria in Tempe. It was a complete travesty, but it was awesome. It was super fun. And, um, and so that kind of started it. And then when I went to Phoenix College, we would have one game on a year on Fox Sports Arizona and Murph called the people at Fox Sports Arizona and said hey this year the color analyst is going to be Mike Rooney and they were like coach great to hear from you actually the way it works is we pick the analysts not the coach coaching (laughs) in the game and and you know like anybody that's dealt with Murph at all he's kind of like great point it's going to be Mike Rooney Mm -hmm. and great talk like (laughs) Tell, tell, tell this them what is happening. To be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so sure enough, I got to do that. And then I got, I was still doing his radio show for more years. And um, now I had an actual tape of me doing a game on television. And then I just started t- sending that tape to ESPN over and over again. And then I would update it as I did more games. And then finally it took me about three years, but I wore down ESPN and they, in 2009, they finally gave, gave me a tv game that was um it was delaware state versus bethune cookman and um i know everyone listening watched it and uh, yeah <laughs> so but anyway it was just you know that that's kind of just how it happened and um yeah it's just a little bit of radio and then you know it, it, it was scary like the first time i did the radio show could barely breathe first time i did that tv game on fox sports arizona you could barely breathe yeah. But you just do it more, you get comfortable, and, you know, certainly you're doing something that you love. That's awesome. So, and you've had some experience doing some college World Series games, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the last three years I've done, I've been the dugout reporter for the day game at the, at, in Omaha. So, what, walk us through, like, maybe, what's it like to, I guess, prepare for a big game like that in, in your shoes? Yeah, so it's – um. You know, I mean, the first part is the subject matter. And, and I'm a baseball junkie. I'm a college baseball junkie. So if I had no work that involved college baseball, I'd still be checking Twitter every day and reading <laughs> Baseball American, D1 Baseball. I mean, I'm just a junkie for college baseball. But, you know, that's a big part about it is, is you want to make sure that 
you know, you find that sweet spot between you really feel like you know those teams, but you don't have so much information in your head that you, you can't communicate intelligently. So it's like, I think the way I think of it is you start big and go small. Like, I want to really feel like I know these teams and these players and their backgrounds, and then I want to, like, boil it down to three points each. So I, I think that's it. Now, when you're in Omaha, you have so many more luxuries. You have stats and information people from ESPN all over the place just feeding you stuff. A lot of times during the regular season, you're doing that research on your own. The coaches, you get to meet with them the day of the game. You know, and, and then it's funny, like, it, to, to start the game, as a dugout reporter, you get a 30-second open on camera. And I, I tend – I don't like to rehearse for television. I like to just have bullet points and go. But for that segment, because you, you really have 30 seconds and you're holding up the start of the game, that's one I like to rehearse and just make sure I'm in a good time range. Yeah. But, but most of what I do on, the, on television is I, I like bullet points and then I want to be conversational. I really don't like to feel scripted. I just feel like that's a that, – it, that just not, doesn't suit me well. Yeah, it can kind of come across as maybe robotic, right, a little bit. And, yeah, yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest – and I'm just spitballing here with you too is maybe – because I, mean, I think there's a lot of people that like would like to go into, say, radio, be on TV, you know, maybe MLB Network, and you kind of see people come and go. So you wonder if that's – if they get too robotic that way, they, they don't go over the bullet points. What, what, have you ever tried – what's your, like, would you say is your ultimate goal now – as far as you want to stay more radio, more TV, what, what's the ultimate goal for you? Oh, that's a good question. It's a hard, I, I struggle. I have a good life right now. You know, like we, my wife, Jenny, and I don't have kids. So I have a lot of jobs. I have a day job where I'm a sales trainer for a medical sales company. And it's, it's, it's a great job. I love our company. I've been there eight years. I, I believe in our mission. It's almost like coaching, but I'm coaching salespeople instead of baseball players. Um, and so that, that's, that's been a real of course I got the job through baseball um you know Josh McKinley who's a first round pick in 98 of the Expos I coached him at Malvern his dad hired me to this company and then I do uh I work part-time for Perfect Game and we have a radio show on Monday nights during the season and then um and then the ESPN stuff so I mean I guess my dream someday would be to only work in sports you know just uh do a do a radio show for baseball and then um, you know, do the ESPN stuff. But for right now, it, it, you know, I love what I get to do in college baseball. I love what I'm doing for Perfect Game. It's, it's, uh, it, it wouldn't break my heart if, if we just kept on trucking on either. Yeah, no doubt. I, I just, I find I'm kind of laughing in my mind about how you became a radio personality. <laughs> Almost like you were thrown into it and, hey, just figure it out, man. Like, That's right. just do That's it. Right. Just do it. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, what would you say, Roots, in, in regards to – is we'll kind of wrap up here, but what would you say is maybe some last what, – what gives you your mental edge in regards to how you go about your daily activities? Mm, I would say, you know, I, I, I would say the biggest thing is – and this is something I'm really grateful to sports for is that, you know, my sports career wasn't easy. You know, like be, I went to a high school like you did where sports was the big deal. And so, like, you, it wasn't like, hey, everyone just come out for sports because we need the bodies. It was the opposite. It was like freshman football, 65 kids try out. Like, <laughs> hey, you know, they're, they're, they're going the other way. Like, hey, maybe you should think about cross country. So, you know, my experience <laughs> at Notre Dame was like, 
I'm not kidding you, Herm. I checked my locker every day. Like every day there was a little part of me that thought, hey, is today the day that you show up to an empty locker? It's just, you know, I, I think that that builds a toughness and a character and a charisma that I take that to my day job that, hey, you, you, you have a high standard for, am I bringing enough value to this organization? They, they don't owe me anything. Like they're going to give me a paycheck as long as I continue to bring value to the team. So I think that mentality is really important. At least I should say it has really helped me. I would say that um, I was, my parents were really hard workers. And um, my, my dad was a stockbroker. My mom was a nurse for their, you know, their adult living. And um, like their, their work ethic is something that really stuck with me and my brother and my sister. So now, again, to be to have that type of work ethic, you either have to find an, a subject matter that you really love, like the baseball stuff that we do. That's not work. Like, you know, if the game starts <laughs> at seven, I'm trying to see how early. I can get my wife to go. It's not like, hey, I want to be there at 6.55. It's like I'm trying to see if I can trick Jenny into letting me go there at 5 o'clock. <laughs> you know, so, or, or you have to find something where you're on a mission. You know, like not everyone gets to work in a field where they can't wait to get up and do sales or whatever. But if you have a mission, that, that works. So I, I'm kind of all over the place on it. But I think those are things that really carry the day for me is, you know, taking pride in your work ethic, you know, just having a realistic opinion on nobody owes you anything. Like you better, you better bring something to the party and it's, it's not personal. You know, it's like, it's some, there are some parties that I don't bring value to. And so the sooner I can get to the right party, the more, the, the better place I'm going to be in. And I, those are things that really resonate for me. Um, because, because otherwise it's really, life can really be a slog. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what I've always, in a way, admired about you when we first met. How we you have a lot of fun with things, but when it got down to doing your work, kind of the grit you have behind it, uh, the willpower, mm -hmm. all that, all those type of things. You just go out, just do the job. Nobody owes you anything. Be prepared and just get the job done. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, that, I, I can't take credit for that. That's like, I think for all of us, right, you become a product of your environment and just been really blessed to be around some, you know, again, like Craig Council is my teammate for four years in college. Next thing you know, he's plays in the big leagues for 16 years. And now he's, you know, just an incredible manager. You're just thinking I mean, that, that's random life occurrence. But, um, you know, you got to love it. I mean, what a blessing. Absolutely. Well, Rins, man, I appreciate coming on board with us. I know we're going to be continuing to watch you. Hopefully we see you, you know, more on TV because I love listening to you. You have appreciate the voice of a Greek god. It's <laughs> amazing. Carmen Bucci and I used to always talk about that. Like, oh, I can, awesome. just, I can listen to Rude's calls all the time. And around oh, the I appreciate it. That's so, awesome. I love it. Well, hey, man, hopefully everything turns out well for you. We're going to probably see you soon at Arizona State, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, but you take care of yourself, and we'll see you. And I appreciate you coming on board the channel. Oh, my pleasure, Herm. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. All right, man. Take it easy. We'll see you. See you.